0: First to Canberra, tonight's uh, stunt double filling in for Laura is, um, is Claire Armstrong. Claire is the uh, national political editor at News Corp and she's based in Canberra. And Claire, would you be kind enough to steam open the government's uh, white paper and explain it to me?
1: Oh, I wish I could. It's a bit of a muddle, all 264 pages of it. Um, But what I have gleaned from it, as has been reported today, is that it's good news for pensioners. There's going to be changes to the threshold for the amount they can earn before their income impacts their pension. They can now work and earn up to $11,800 in a year. And that can be with ad hoc seasonal work, doesn't have to be a consistent part-time job and and they'll still collect their pension. That's basically one of the ideas in this huge Paper that looks at a whole range of things the government thinks will help get productivity in the economy moving by making sure that everyone who wants to work is working as many hours as they want and using all of the skills that they have.
0: Now, we know that unemployment's been, uh, well, at near record lows, but the Treasurer wants to address this issue of uh, underemployment
1: yes yeah, so he's uh refocusing the uh the goal of the government to look at what he calls full employment so it's not just about the raw number of how many people are either in the work- workforce or looking for a job but are the people in the workforce doing things that they are skilled to do. We know, for example, you have a lot of skilled migrants that come in, they're accountants, they're engineers, but in the workforce they're employed in much lower skilled jobs, they're unable to be matched with the kind of career that they're actually qualified for. Or there are people that are part-time casual but they actually have capacity and want to do full-time work. So he's more interested in drilling down into not just who's got a job but what kind of job do they have? Now, the reason I say it's all a bit confusing is because he didn't himself actually give a specific definition as to what he would consider full employment. So it's a a broad goal rather than a stated objective at the moment.
0: Now, Claire, you've mentioned uh, changes for pensioners. Let's look at the other end of the age scale, apprenticeships.
1: Yeah, so another thing that the government is looking at is saying, well, if we have full employment as the goal, then we need to make interventions in the economy that ensure that people who want a really well-paid, high-skilled job have the skills. So one of the things that is going to include is funding for something a bit new in Australia. They're calling them apprenticeship degrees. So it's effectively like a university level higher education qualification, but it's taught through TAFE rather than through university campus. That's something that the government is going to put money on the table for as it goes to negotiate with states and territories for a longer term skills funding deal, which is currently um, being debated at the moment between the levels of government.
0: Talking to Claire Armstrong, Claire, tell me what this uh, national skills passport is. How does that factor in?
1: So the idea behind this it's a it's a digital uh, resume in a sense it's it's got it's got all of the um the qualifications that an individual might have, and it's kept in a single Digital, like a digital ID basically and then that can be used by um, individuals who are applying for jobs who are seeking qualifications to basically stump that up as as a verification for what qualifications they have. An employer can look it up and know that it's a verified, you know, degree, TAFE course, type of licence. It's basically about simplifying how people verify and store their qualifications.
0: Arguably, the biggest story today involves the uh, Secretary of the Home Affairs Department. He's in a spot of bother.
1: Yes. Uh, well, the question is going to be whether he remains Secretary of the Home Affairs Department. Mike Pizzullo has stood aside pending an investigation that was prompted by an astonishing leak of text tech- Messages, private messages between himself and a liberal power, liberal party power broker by the name of Scott Briggs, over several years, the nine papers have revealed that these two men spoke. Um, Mr. Pizzolo often raised uh, suggestions, opinions of a political nature in terms of um, who he thought might be good as his own boss, as the minister in the Home Affairs Department, and also gave some rather disparaging reviews of some ministers in other roles that he didn't think were doing very well. And it's not uh, a question of of corruption or wrongdoing in that sense, but there is a very clear code of standards that Australian public servants have to abide by that obviously is all geared around our system of not politicising the public service. So by virtue of having these text exchanges of a political nature, he has been stood aside while the issue is investigated.
0: Claire, it sounds like he's thrown himself under the bus.
1: Well, no one forced him to send those messages, and it's pretty clear from the content that there was uh, a. a over interest in the political situation in terms of who might take over the portfolio when there was a leadership spill in the Liberal Party. He was very insistent about things like wanting a right winger from the coalition to maintain control of home affairs because he was worried that a moderate wouldn't be strong on borders and some of the other policy areas that he looked after. So there was a definite crossing over into politics for someone that is supposed to be very clearly above of that.
0: Okay, we've had a white paper on matters of employment and the government has announced an inquiry into the management of COVID and it's been criticised by all sides. Why didn't they opt for a royal commission?
1: That is a really good question and something that the Prime Minister hasn't really been able to answer since he announced this inquiry a few days ago His excuses have ranged from things like, well, there's already been a lot of inquiries into issues, so why do a a long Royal Commission when it was pointed out that Royal Commissions can be shorter, like the RoboDebt Royal Commission was given a tight 12 months to turn around. He then pivoted into saying... That, it just, that the inquiry that he was announcing would have the same powers and be able to do anything a Royal Commission would do. Unfortunately, that is not the case. As we know, Royal Commissions can compel witnesses, they can compel the production of documents and they have a lot more powers than any inquiry a government would set up.
0: Now, COVID reminds me inevitably of Qantas, and uh, last week we saw the new Qantas uh, boss offer a fresh apology for their recent failings. Now they've announced a bit of a, uh, well, a bit of a spending spree to make up, haven't they?
1: A spending spree in the sense of what they would maybe normally spend on customer service, but definitely barely making a dent in their profits, uh, Qantas is investing $80 million to fix what they're calling service pain points. So that's your endless wait times on the phone. It's clunky mobile app. They're saying they've heard Australians loud and clear and that they as a company are not up to scratch when it comes to customer service and they've promised to invest this money to fix some of those issues.
0: Claire, what about the FFPs, I understand fresh uh, frequent flyer points are also being reviewed.
1: Yes, there's been some focus on the frequent flyer scheme in the wake of a lot of the controversy around Qantas, uh, specifically looking at whether they're still worth the value that they used to be. That's been a concern. So that's being captured in a part of a re evaluation that Qantas is doing, saying, are the Qantas points that people collect when they frequently fly with the airline, actually translating into being able to pay for the kinds of things that they once were able to.
0: Three weeks until the the referendum and the polls are are not good for the Yes campaign, but as you wrote today, the PM has, well, a bipartisan offer on the table.
1: Yes, he's extended an olive branch to the coalition and to Peter Dutton and said that should there be a yes result come October 14, the Prime Minister wants to establish a joint Labor and Liberal Parliamentary Committee that will oversee the voice legislation, which basically means Mr Dutton has been invited to take part in writing the very detail that he has been scaring everyone about for the last six to nine months. Dutton has sort of rejected it and said that it's a political game too late in the piece for bipartisanship, but he's also said he will respect the result of the referendum. So we could see some kind of collaboration on this after all if, and it's a big if, the referendum does succeed in a few weeks' time.
0: Claire, finally there was a face full of food for a political leader in Darwin.
1: Yes, Natasha Files, the chief minister of the Northern Territory, was at a popular local market in Darwin. Um, yesterday morning when she was approached by a constituent who had a, I think it was a pancake with cream on top and shoved it in her face, Uh, allegedly that woman has uh, been charged with uh, assault, I believe, and it all actually relates to Ms Files' time previously in the health portfolio in the Territory. Apparently this constituent was upset with a way that uh, a personal case was handled both sides of politics in the Territory have condemned the attacks saying, you know, you can have your disagreements but violence is never the answer to solving them.
0: I suddenly recall a time when Ellen Joyce had a, a face full of food too. Look, Claire, thank you for that. Claire Armstrong, uh, National Political Editor at News Corp.
1: ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.